If you're new with us, uh, we're in the middle of a short series on love. We began last week, beyond this week. We'll have one more next week on love before we uh, start our series on the life of Joseph. And the reason we're doing this is uh, uh, the looking, taking time to stop and look at some of these passages on love is because it's, it's a pretty important theme, not only in the Bible and in the New Testament, but particularly in the epistles, in the letters to the churches. We're trying to look and see what they say about how we are to love each other as a church. Uh, let me just go through some of the, some of the calls to love in the epistles. We're called to love one another, to practice brotherly love, to love our neighbor as ourself. It says that to f- we can fulfill the law with love. It says we are to build each other up in love. All things are to be done in love. The first fruits of the Spirit is love. We should be rooted and grounded in love. Knit together in love, walk in love, speak the truth in love, stir one another up in love, love one another earnestly, and always continue in brotherly love. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, as we saw last week, that you can have every talent and every spiritual gift, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. These are just a few of the love exhortations in, to the church in the epistles. So it's kind of important. It's kind of a big deal. But of course the question is, what does this really look like in our lives? What does it look like functionally? You know, does it mean more, more hugs and kisses and getting a little more affectionate as a church? Does it mean more kind words, more generosity? It probably includes some of those things. But what does it really look like? Well, last week we looked at the Corinthian church, who, according to Paul, had it completely wrong. They had the pursuit of spiritual excellence and giftedness at the top of their list. That's what they were pursuing before love, and they were a mess. They were full of divisions and rivalries, and we saw him call them to patience and kindness and forbearance. Those were some of the aspects of love that he challenged them to. And this week, I want us to look at a church that's sort of the exact opposite of the Corinthian church, this church at Thessalonica. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Unlike the Corinthians, these guys seem to have it down. They're doing pretty good with love. Paul doesn't even know what to write to them. He just says, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Do it more and more. It's unusual for Paul. He usually has a lot to say. So, of course, I think we need to study these guys. We need to learn all we can for them. 
But before we jump into this, some of the specifics, I want us to note three things about their love right up front. And the first one is, they learned their love in the gospel. In 4.9, as we just read, they were t- it says they were taught it by God. But look at chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. You see, they were loved by God first in the gospel. As he, out of his sheer grace and and mercy, came to them and chose them and, and grabbed hold of their lives And they came to realize they had their eyes open to the the sacrifice of his son and the depth of their sin and the atonement made. And they they began to experience, in full conviction of the Spirit, their redemption, their cleansing, their, their salvation. In that moment, they knew, they learned, they were taught love, real love. If you're a believer this morning, you you know that moment in your life. When you first knew the the love of God in the gospel, in your life, real love. But their love lesson didn't end there. The second thing we see in this epistle is that they learned to live out this love through the apostles. In chapter 1, verse 6, we read this, And you became imitators of us, this is the apostle speaking, and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit. They became imitators of the apostles. They learned love initially in the gospel. And then they saw it lived out in the apostles. And they followed suit. They imitated. You'll see that emphasis throughout this book. See, what's interesting in this letter is when you go to look at how the Thessalonians loved each other, you don't find anything. Because what we actually find in the letter is how the apostles are loving the Thessalonians. That's where we see the lessons in love. They imitate the apostles, but what we're showing is how the apostles loved them. It's love lessons from the apostles to the Thessalonians that then come to us. And we're going to look at a few of these lessons today. But I want to say one more thing up front about love, their love. They had to work at it. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love. Again, a theme that will be talked about later. The love that they learned from God did not come naturally. The gospel they experienced in Christ and witnessed in the apostles' lives, that gospel love didn't just flow out of them naturally. They didn't say, oh, I I, I see it now. I got it. It's good. We'll love like that. No, it was a labor. It took work and practice. It doesn't come naturally to sinful people. To fleshly people. We learned, we learned this last week when we looked at the Corinthians, right? 
Because Paul went through and he told them, you know, love is patient. And then we realized that throughout the book he had excoriated them for not being patient. And he told them, love is kind. And then he went through and showed them how they haven't been kind. And love keeps no records of wrongs. And Paul's like, and you're dragging each other into court. He showed them, you're, you're not loving naturally. You see, it's only as we look to Christ and abide in his spirit and strive in him that we can live out this love. Okay, so what love lessons did the Thessalonians learn from the apostles that we can glean from? Well, the first one is this. True gospel love, Christian love, that we're all called to, is actually motherly. It involves motherly care in each other's lives. Look at chapter 2, starting at verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul says of the apostles, we were affectionately desirous of you. That's, that's love language. He says you were dear to us. It's love language. So what did the apostles do with this affection and desire for the Thessalonians? They became motherly, he says. I love this. Because when I think of the apostles, I think of some burly guys. I think of beards and scarred hands from fishing or tent making. I think they were burly guys. But they became motherly. They invested not just with gospel words, but with their, their very lives. Men were pretty, were pretty good or were at least okay with words, with people using words. We like to use words to speak truth, to give commands, to say it like it is. Feels very manly. Paul says they did more than that. That they got in there with their own selves. Did you see that in verse 8? So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our, our own selves. And his, his example that he gives of them doing this is this nursing mother gently taking care of her child, a nursing mother. I want you to get that image in your head for a minute. I was, I was thinking about this, how, you know, unapostly this sounds. Apostles, and then like nursing mother image right below it. The Maddie's Place image, have you seen that with the little, can you imagine that? with Apostleship. This doesn't sound quite right. But that's the image he gives. Get that image in your head. A nursing mother. If you've got it in your head and you've got it right, there are two things you should see. First of all, you should see this. 
you should see this face-to-face interaction. The mother's nursing her child. The baby's looking at the mother. The mother's looking at the baby. The baby locks on the mother's face, studying her expressions. Even if you've ever fed a little baby a bottle, you've had that moment where they're just staring you, study, staring you down, studying you. They're learning and growing and interacting. They're bonding. It's interesting, I guess, I believe my wife told me this once, or I don't know where I learned it, but the, when the newborn's baby is born, they can focus just at that distance. That's, what, that's the distance they can see. They're, they're literally born ready for this face-to-face interaction. And studies recently have shown, with all the uh, new face-to-face things, the screens, the phones, the, you know, FaceTiming, Facebooking, all the things that still are FaceTime, how devastating this has been for babies and their bonding with their mothers because their mothers will sit there and look at their phone. It's had devastating effects because motherly love happens face-to-face. It's personal and, and an interactive investment. Paul will actually use this language. Look at 2.17. This is what he says. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with a great desire to see you face to face. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. This Motherly love, this nursing motherly love, is about this this face-to-face, up-close, personal investment in their life. So much so that I can see what is lacking in you spiritually. That encouragement you might need, the wisdom you might need, the correction, the prayer. And then supply it to give it out of myself. That's the second thing that we see in the image of a nursing mother. It's not just the face-to-face interaction, but the self-giving. The mother is literally giving what's lacking in that child from herself, isn't she? From her own self. The milk she gives is from her. That baby is feeding from her nutrients, her life. It's a beautiful picture of sacrificial self-giving. And the question that I think we're supposed to ask is, do I, do I know this kind of love? Do I have this kind of love in my life? Am I, am I getting it? Is there someone in, in, in the body of the church that's able to pour into my life this way? Am I giving it? Am I investing in others this way? I think for, for men, this can be a particular challenge for us. It's so close and personal. It's awkward for our kind of Western manliness. We don't like to get people necessarily that, that close because we're supposed to be strong and independent, or we think we are. But in Christ, we are called to a motherly love, a caring, giving, gentle, sacrificial love that's face-to-face and personal and interactive 
it's kind of awkward. It, it requires talking a lot, asking questions, actually listening, being present, doesn't it? I remember at our first men's meetup, M-E-A-T, we have these men's meetups where we gather somewhere where we can eat meat. We had one, we had about 50 guys, we were meeting at this, uh, this wings place. And the speaker was speaking about the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, love. And he said, as he was talking about it, he said, look, to do this, men, to practice this, we, we have to get awkward. And he challenged us to go back to our, our little tables in that, in that bar and ask awkward questions. I think he even wrote some down in case we didn't know how to do this. Actually, you know, and we went back to our tables, and um, it was awkward. <laughs> but I have to say, by the end of that time, some of the stories that I was hearing as we came back with the guys, the conversations that we had around the tables were amazing. And I kind of want to put that same challenge out there this, this week. Man, I want you to, to step it up in your questioning of that friend this week. You know, to actually ask that question, how's your marriage, or what's God been teaching you lately in your life? Or what's the biggest struggle that's going on for you right now? How can I pray for you? You can warm up to it with some questions about sports and weather and stuff and then get there. Don't just jump in. This is a challenge to me. I often struggle with personal questions and kind of getting real like this. And I was thinking about it like I was kind of doing some self-analysis. Why am I like this? Why do I kind of avoid that or deflect when the personal question kind of comes? And I think it has to do with time. I feel busy, you know, getting into it personally, sharing takes time. Love is patient, and I'm not patient. You know, I just want to get my lawn mowed, and you're talking to me. <laughs> Keep talking. I do this with my wife. I ask a simple question like, how was your day? And I'm hoping for a fine, I'm hoping for an answer I would give, like, fine, good. And she actually begins to answer. And she answers some more. And she keeps answering. And, uh, and in my mind, I've got that mental finger rolling, going like, oh, come on. And sometimes the finger actually starts to roll, and then I'm in big trouble. In big, big trouble. It's not loving. Paul says, invest your time, your life, your attention. Be caring, self-giving, like a nursing mother. This is the kind of love that the apostles were demonstrating to the Thessalonians. The love they received in Christ. Now before we get too uncomfortable, let me move on to point two. Because the second thing we see here in the example of Paul and the apostles about love is that uh, about the love is 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 that it is actually fatherly it involves a motherly care but simultaneously it involves fatherly exhortation look at chapter 2 verse 10 you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you 
believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now what we see here is this fatherly exhortation that is particularly focused on holiness. This fatherly love that wants his children to be on the right path in life, to be walking worthy of God, and thus directs and pushes them and, and exhorts them in that, in that way. We see this emphasis again later in, in Paul's prayer for them in, in chapter 3, verse 11. Look, he prays for them and he says this, chapter 3, verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and, and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints. He wants them to be loving each other in a way that encourages and fosters holiness in their lives like a good father. This is how the apostles, as their spiritual fathers, have loved them. They've exemplified holy conduct. They've taught them God's standards. They've rebuked and corrected them as they've gone astray. Charged them to live right before God. True Christian love, when it comes to, to holiness in our lives, it's fatherly. If you had a good dad in your life, whether he was a Christian or not, what did he do in your life? Well, he probably watched your life kept track of it. He tried to guide you, to keep you on the straight and narrow. He called you out in your foolish behavior. He imparted wisdom, or he tried, and correction. And sometimes he imparted discipline because he loved you. If you're here with us last week, you saw Paul imparting discipline to the Corinthians. It was a real spiritual spanking that he gave the Corinthians because he loved them. My father was this in, in, in my life. Not only did he strive to, to model righteous living for me, uh, I, I saw him reading his Bible and praying. I saw him work at patience and and gentleness with people. I saw him repent and apologize. And it was a labor of love, obviously, before God, but it was a labor of love to me. And he was a strong exhorter in my life. I remember once when I was just about to go into high school and I had a friend of mine had actually confronted me about a lot of sin in my life and I felt like I had to go tell my parents. I kind of repented and and I said, I want you to know, and I told him everything that had been going on in my life, all the sins I was involved in. And my dad took me for a walk later, and he, you know, he, said, he, he said, we talked through a lot of those things. And he said, well, you know, I'm not going to discipline you uh, because that would be to bring you to repentance, and you're already there. But you've told me these things, and I'm going to hold you accountable. And I just want you to know, if I hear you're involved in any of this again, you're going to get it for that time and every one of the past times. <laughs> 
and I knew he was serious. And it was the best way for him to love me at that point in my life. That, that, that kind of haunted me. It was there. It was good. I needed it. Have you ever had a friend that was fatherly like this in their love to you? That wasn't afraid to give you advice whether you wanted it or not? That took the time and energy to watch your life closely? That would call you out and rebuke you? That didn't put up with any of your stuff? I had a friend once that told me I was moving away from the area, probably never to live uh, you know, near that, that guy again, and he was a good friend. And uh, he said to me, basically, I want you to know that if I ever hear that you are estranged from Christ, uh, uh, you've wandered away, you're, you're getting involved in sin, I'm going to come after you. He said, I will get on a plane, I will fly, I will find you. And that, like, like a father would. And I know that friend prays for me consistently. Now, there's one more thing I want us to notice about the love of the apostles that they're showing to the Thessalonians. And, and it fits with this motherly and fatherly theme, and that is their love involves sort of a parental pride and joy. Look at 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Wow. Paul is excited when he thinks of Christ's coming that he gets to hold up to Jesus the Thessalonian believers. He calls them his, his point of boasting, his crown, his glory, his joy. God had graciously worked in his and the apostles' lives to save them and make them his, and now he's used them as his gospel workers to produce and grow even more children, these Thessalonians. And Paul is excited to say when Jesus comes, look. It reminds me of when my son Micah was born. He was born in Australia. And uh, my parents decided to fly over to see their, their new uh, grandson, a little red-headed grandson. And I was so excited. I couldn't wait for them to get there so I could hold out this beautiful boy and say, look what I did. <laughs> Trisha helped a little bit, but... but look. This is how we feel about our children, isn't it? Not, not just at their birth, but every milestone in their growth and success in their lives. We're so excited because we love them. We're invested in them. They're, most, they're the most important, in a sense, work and joy of our lives. That's the way we feel. Look what Paul says in uh, chapter 3, verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our 
God. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Complete joy and thanksgiving as the Thessalonians do well spiritually. I went to uh, my daughter Hannah, who's now, you know, 23 or whatever she is. Her uh, recital, when she, ballet recital when she was a little girl. I believe the Reese's daughters were there, our former pastor as well, doing their, it was at Eastern Washington, big auditorium, dance recital. I think it was Scottish dance and ballet and all that. And at some point, I snuck down with my camera to the floor, right, to, right to the front, right, to get a good shot of, of this going on. And the girls are up there all doing great. And as I turned around after I did that, I looked back, and of course, what did I see? I saw this whole crowd, lots of cameras, right? But I saw these beaming faces on all the parents, just big smiles, bright eyes, just filled with joy as they watched their children doing well, performing, enjoying. I guess the question is, are, are we invested in each other's lives that way? Where as, as your brothers and sisters do well as they grow, that is our, we're so excited. We're so excited at the, at the spiritual growth and success in our, in our brothers' and sisters' lives, like fathers and mothers loving their children. Now I know um, loving like this is challenging and it doesn't come natural, as we said at the beginning. We'll fail in many ways as, as a body. But we need to remember two things, the two things we started with. First of all, they were taught it by God in the gospel. That's where it started. The Thessalonians first experienced this love and learned this love in Christ, in Jesus' gracious work for them on the cross, which was applied to them by the Spirit. And this is where we must always return and rest and find our strength to love in Christ by his spirit. This love is, is the first fruit of his spirit. We need to be depending on him. We need to be praying. We need to be asking Lord Jesus to help us. But secondly, we need to remember that it's, it's also a labor. We need to work at it. We strive in Christ we work out this love as the Spirit works in us. There's a great verse, just one book back in Colossians here. We were just in Colossians at a pastor's group. One, Colossians 1.29, look what it says. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that's the energy of the Spirit, that he powerfully works within me. He toils, struggling in the energy of the Holy Spirit that's working in him. It's a great verse for us to remember. This is how we work at it. We strive in the Spirit to love like this. To be invested in our brothers and sisters' lives like mothers and fathers and proud parents. It's a labor takes time. I always like to say that quality time with somebody comes out of quantity time. It takes time. It takes emotional energy. 
It takes a prioritizing accordingly. We can't do it by just showing up here and there on Sunday. Our small groups here are meant to facilitate this kind of love, to take time in each other's lives. Our men's and women's Bible studies are to facilitate this. But it takes, it takes even more, right? It takes a giving over of ourselves. Are we putting this time and energy in, into loving like this, or is it just going elsewhere? This is what we're trying to do, by the way, with our youth ministry here as well. Teach the kids to love each other like this, to be committed to each other's lives, to be honest and transparent and real and hold each other up as they grow, to be those kind of, I guess, to be brothers and si- motherly and fatherly brothers and sisters. <laughs> Let's model it to them as the apostles did to the Thessalonians. Let's be a church that truly loves, like our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when you call us to love each other, you don't leave it out there as some undefined ethereal thing, but you give us concrete, real examples. You have it modeled to us in your apostles as they love your church. Lord, we pray that we would leave from here not just convicted, but convinced and empowered to live this love in your Son. Amen.